Now our brother, brother Paul will share with us from his from the scriptures his thoughts of comfort and instruction. Brother Paul. Sisters and friends, as we look at the readings from Scripture for the day, there seems to be a common thread, as there always seems to be in Scripture. But we had our reading from the Judges, where we have the, uh, the sin, the suffering, supplication, and salvation, the life cycle that we each live. And then in Isaiah chapter 35, in the last verse we read, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. And then the last few words, in sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And over the next few weeks, God willing, we'll be reading from the two epistles of Peter, where he focuses a lot on the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ and how suffering had to come before glory, before the crown. So when we take a look at this theme in Scripture a bit, what we'd like to do this morning is, is take a look a little bit of how Peter defines this suffering that occurs in our lives in the example that was set before us in the Lord Jesus Christ and how do we endure through this suffering. And we know that ultimately we look forward to that crown, the crown of glory that will be given to us. But as we go through life and we try and figure out where we're actually at, Sometimes it's very difficult to keep that focus. If you turn with me over to the first epistle of Peter, the breakdown really is sort of interesting. Maybe uh, as as you go through it this week, you can keep it in mind. Uh, The first section of Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through uh, chapter 2, verse 10, deal with our call to the truth. In what, uh, in what it involves. And then the next section, chapter 2, verses 11 through chapter 4, verse 11, deal with some very practical ways that we're supposed to live our life in the truth. And I think as we go through and examine those during the week, uh, they're very helpful to us in the, in the trials and tribulations. And then in chapter 4, verse 12 through 5 and 11, He actually talks about the fiery trials that the ecclesias were going to have to endure and how to bear them. How were they going to work their way through these things? And then his final words in chapter 5, verse 12 through uh, verse 14. And, And there's two areas in particular that you should try and keep in mind as you read through the epistle. One was the aspect of Peter himself as the apostle and how God was able to work with him through his life to actually change him. Through all the things and all the trials and tribulations that we know happened in Peter's life, we reach a point in the epistle where we see a mature Peter, somebody who was a leader in the ecclesia, somebody who was leading the sheep, feeding God's sheep. And it's amazing how all this preparation put him in a position to where he could give Advice to an ecclesia that was going to or ecclesias that were going to go through terrible trials and tribulations, and how God had worked with Peter to bring him to this point in his life, and it was only through the maturity of the truth working in his life over and over again, through the trials that he endured, trials that would have been embarrassing, that would have been heart wrenching, that these things actually changed him and was able uh, to keep him focused on the crown of glory that was before him. In fact, when we read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6-7, through 7, 
be reading out of the NIV. It says, "This is your great. This is you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed." So Peter saying that through your trials and tribulations, you will receive the praise, honor, and glory at the end through the refining of your faith. So we see this theme developed in the epistle of Peter. The first part is the suffering of Christ, and the second part, the glory of Christ. Well, it's interesting because we just finished up in the book of James, where James told us that faith without works is dead and that we must manifest our faith by our works, that we have to be involved in working out our salvation. And yet, here in Peter, we're given another piece of the equation. He tells us that it's the trial of our faith that perfecteth our works. So it's through the trials and tribulations, the things that we suffer, that our works are perfected. Well, what kind of works are we talking about? Well, it's the working within the ecclesia, the love that we have for our brethren and sisters the compassion that we start to develop as we go through our own trials and tribulations. We start to realize the struggle that we all have with the flesh and we can start to relate to each other as we try and work through the confusion of our life and all the things that are happening. Peter was a witness in his own life of this very fact. These very things that we talked about, this changing and transformation, Peter was able to look back on and he was able to exhort the ecclesia, and not only was he able to exhort, but he was able to give testimony based on the actual things that happened in his life and how it affected him. And by doing that, he was very helpful to the brethren and sisters in the ecclesia. Now, what was the tribulation that Peter was talking about that these brethren and sisters would have to endure? Um, If you take a look a little bit at the background, I think it's background that most of us are very familiar with, but there was great persecution that was going to come upon them. And Peter addresses this in the, in the section in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 5 and 11. We know that the background of this, this, this epistle was probably written about 60 A.D. And that was about 10 years before Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And Nero, as most of you remember from your history days, was one of the most cruel rulers uh, that's known in history. He was one of the most brutal people in the way that he treated others. And he ruled from A.D. 54 to A.D. 68. To give you some idea of how cruel he was, he he killed his own mother, his wife, and in fact he instructed uh, his teacher and advisor and his poet to kill themselves. And they they had to actually uh, kill themselves. And in A.D. 64, I think what he's most famous for is, you know, he was accused of starting the fire that burned Rome, and he played in saying as the fire consumed Rome. Once he lost his popularity, he diverted his uh, the attention off of him, and he blamed the Christians for what happened. And he started to kill innocent Christians, and the way he would do that, he, was, he would take men, women, and children, our brethren and sisters in Christ, and they would be put into an arena with wild animals and torn apart in front of a crowd. This was the kind of tribute, uh, trials and tribulations that the brethren and sisters had to endure. He would take Christians and he would soak them in tar. And he would tie them to a pole and light them up at night as lights. 
and he would have entertainment with these, these, these situations going on. So the trials and tribulations that Peter was addressing with the brethren and sisters, along with just the struggles with the flesh, were great during this period of time. I know that we struggle too, and we suffer through many trials and tribulations in our own life. It consumes us. We focus on our trials and tribulations. And yet, when we think about what our brethren and sisters had to endure, the ecclesias weren't in existence that long maybe 20 years. And they had to endure these trials and tribulations that would have torn them apart, if not careful. And yet what we see is the pain and suffering that they had to endure actually brought them together. They had compassion for each other. and They worked with each other. Sometimes I think that uh, in our society we have so many things that distract us with materialism that we really don't know each other that well, that we don't really have compassion for each other, or we're so wrapped up in our own problems and our own trials that we don't look around to see how we can help others. A a law was finally passed by Nero, and the the Christians had to meet in secrecy. It It was a law that it was a crime to be a Christian. And yet you look this morning at how we're able to meet freely here. We're able to meet together to talk about those most precious things. And this was a situation that the brethren and sisters had to deal with in this time. We know eventually the Jews revolted and in AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed. So how was Peter actually put into place to where he could be helpful in this situation? Peter is a character that we talk about a lot in our Sunday school. And it's very interesting because there's a lot told us about Peter in the scriptures. But he started out as a disciple, a follower. There was a discipline that he followed, and he started out as a follower of John the Baptist and eventually became a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. He then became and was called out to be an apostle. He was sent out as an ambassador of God's word. And when you look at our own training in our own lives, we are called out to be disciples first, followers And then we're instructed to go out, to be sent out to others, to be ambassadors for the sake of the truth by the example that we live in our lives. He was really changed from his his beginnings. He was a a man that, you know, we wouldn't consider somebody who was well-educated. He was a fisherman. His name was Simon Peter, the son of Jonah. And his name meant hearing rock filled with a dove. And we know that the dove represents Christ in Scripture. So here was a hearing rock Filled with Christ, he was a fisher. Of, uh, he was a fisherman by trade, and he became the fisher of men. He worked closely with his family. You know, a lot of times we have problems and we struggle within our own families. Well, in Scripture, it's interesting how God continues to use families. David, you know, was the uncle of Joab, and you look at all the individual situations that he found himself in with his family, and here Peter. He was partners with his brother in business, Andrew. And who is he partners with? James and John, the brothers, the sons of Zebedee. And so they worked together in their business. And Jesus called them from this. He was introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew. And he was given the name Peter by the Lord himself. Now, if I was to ask you to just take a minute and think about Peter... What would be the first thing that might come to your mind about his character or his, the things that he was involved in? 
And I found it sort of an interesting uh, exercise. If you just think right now, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, and there's so many different parts of Peter. You, you might think of his courage when he stood up in the Garden of Gethsemane and lopped the ear off the, uh, the servant of the high priest. Or when he walked on the water. Um, you might think of his impulsiveness, how he just blurted out answers. He was the first to say that you are Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the first one mentioned by Christ in all the, in the, all the Gospels and also in Acts. We know he was very emotional. He was almost uh, willing to jump into anything. We remember when Christ said that he was going to wash his feet and Peter said, no, you'll, you'll never wash my feet. And he said, Christ said to him, then, then you won't have a part with me. And he said, well, wash my feet, my hands, and my head also then. And we remember when he denied his Lord, how he went out and he wept bitterly. You can only imagine when you take a look at John chapter 21, the interchange between Peter as the Lord worked with him early. In John chapter 21, we have recorded for us the three times where Jesus asked Peter some questions very familiar to us. John chapter 21 and verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. He said unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. And he said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Well, when you look at this example, we know the from our studies that Jesus was asking him, do you agape me? And Peter was saying, yes, I filio you. I love you. But Jesus said, no, do you have the self-sacrificing love for me? And ultimately, through this trial, Peter was learning the love that he needed to develop for his Lord. And eventually he would feed the sheep of God. We know that he, gave, he was given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And we might remember that Peter was there at the transfiguration or at the Garden of Gethsemane when the Lord instructed him to watch and pray when he fell asleep. But when we take a look at Matthew chapter 16, we see the, uh, the situation where the Lord teaches Peter in his early life about the things that would be important to him in the future, this lesson of suffering first before the crown. In Matthew chapter 16, we have the example recorded to us in verse 16. And it says, And Simon Peter asked, answered and said unto Jesus, Thou art Christ, the Son of the living God. So he confesses right away, that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. 
And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not perish, shall not prevail against it. And we know from this verse that here, Jesus, or here Peter gives a confession of Jesus being the Son of God, and Jesus commends him for what he had said, and he says, Upon you, Peter, and there's a play on words here. Peter's name means rock. It actually means a loose rolling stone. Upon you, Peter, um, and upon this rock, he says, that thou, that thou art Peter, which meant a living, a living stone, and upon this rock I will build my ecclesia. And this rock that was being talked about wasn't what Peter's name meant, but it was his confession that Jesus was the Son of God. Upon that confession, that chief cornerstone, God's kingdom or God's uh, ecclesia would be built. And Peter would be part of that. And we're told that he would be given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And Peter would be instrumental in opening the door to Christ to many after, as we see it, we'll see a little bit later on in his life. So all these examples that are recorded for us in Scripture about Peter, even though they are very interesting stories, played an integral part in helping Peter to understand what was what living the truth was all about, about the suffering that had to take place before the crown. And when he turned, when we turn to his epistle, and when you read through the epistle this week, God willing you'll see these examples that are in his life brought out in the things that he actually says to the Ecclesia and how they must learn to suffer before they'll actually be able to accept and and be partakers of the crown. Well, if you look at the three stages of Peter's life, his spiritual development, it's sort of interesting how God works in threes a lot of times. We can remember in the stages of Moses, the three 40-year periods. But... Right after the Lord Jesus Christ tells Peter that he's going to be given the, the keys to the kingdom, look at the very next thing that he discusses with them. He says, Then charged he his disciples, in verse 20, that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time forward began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And then we know the familiar part where Peter rebukes him and says to him, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. And then the instruction to, to take up their cross and follow him. In verse 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is it profit if you shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and there he shall reward every man according to his works. So the suffering was going to happen first as Jesus explains to his disciples And then at the end, those who had not denied him, the Son of God would reveal his glory and they would be able to participate in the reward. And that was a lesson that Peter had to go through over and over again in his epistle as he talked to the Ecclesia and the Ecclesias that this epistle addressed. 
So let's just take a look for the last few minutes here at a couple examples in the epistle of Peter of how this comes about, this suffering, and how we are supposed to deal with this in our own lives. One of the most fundamental things in Scripture is we need to learn our, on our dependency upon our Heavenly Father. That's one of the hardest things for us to learn. We are very self-sufficient and we feel that we can deal with things in our, ourselves, but over time and through God working in our lives, He continually redirects us to the fact that we are completely dependent upon His grace and mercy. And Peter addresses this in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 24 where he says, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. If Christ remains away, each of us here will will die. Nobody will remember us after a few years. How many of you can remember your great-great-grandfather and some of the things that have been done? There might be stories passed down, but if you went back four or five generations, six generations, how much do you know about your family? We fade away, we die, and we're forgotten. So God has given us the opportunity to live forever. Yet we have to suffer and learn through the things of this life before we're able to partake of that crown. So why does God cause His children to suffer? It's a question that you know we have to ask ourselves. Why do we have to suffer in this life? Why can't life just be full of happiness? And at the end, Christ comes back and we're in the kingdom. Well, we know that time and chance don't dominate the life of believers. God views us as His children. We are His children. And knowing what is best for His children, He allows us to be subject to difficult circumstances with the intent of developing our character so that we can be saved. So instead of these things happening randomly in our life, all events in the life of godly happen for a reason, and it's for our eternal good. This is something that we have to get in our minds well before we start to go through trials and tribulations because we can lose sight of it. We can think that God has abandoned us and He's put us in these situations that are too difficult for us to deal with. But when we realize this, that God is working with us, we can be reassured that God hasn't abandoned us through our suffering, but He's working with us for our eternal well-being. God views us as His children and He works with us like we do with our children to correct us, to discipline us. We have the example in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5 we're all familiar with where it talks about how God deals with us, disciplines us to bring us about so that we learn. In First Peter chapter 4 in verse 19, we see that it's God's will that we suffer. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls in Him in well-doing is unto a faithful creator. So once we realize that it's God's will that we suffer and that he's working with us to bring about our eternal well-being, we, we start to develop the faith that's needed in God that he is in control of the events of our life, that these things aren't just happening by random 
but that God is dealing with us and working with us through His angels to bring us about to the kingdom. In Romans 8 and verse 28, we're told, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. So Peter tells us to expect to suffer and that suffering brings spiritual blessings. And he goes through this in 1 Peter chapter 4 in verses 12 through 14. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a, thir- as, or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glory let him, let him glorify God on his behalf. A lot of times when we suffer, brethren and sisters, it's our own actions that have put us into that situation. And other times we suffer for no reason that we know of. God is working in our lives in different ways. And you can imagine how the Christians at this time, as they suffered the fate of being put into the arena, would have wondered why this was happening to them. What purpose was there in them dying in the arena. And yet, as we go through these things, these trials and tribulations, we have to ask ourselves what our attitude to be should be as we go through this suffering. We know for the godly that suffering is really a preparation for the kingdom. And we know that the Lord Jesus Christ was called upon to suffer. He learned obedience by the things that He suffered. Even when we suffer because of our own actions, and I don't like to use this word that God punishes us, but He redirects and disciplines us, even when that happens, the mercy of God is revealed through His actions towards us. And this is evident in the prophet Jeremiah. If you take a look over in Jeremiah chapter 29, when the children of Israel were coming out of Babylon, we know that they were taken into captivity for the 70 years. And it's revealed to us in Jeremiah chapter 29 the thoughts and intents of our Heavenly Father. Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. For thus saith the Lord, that after seventy years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye search for me with all your heart. So the whole purpose that the remnant was sent to Babylon was for their preservation. It was thoughts of peace, we read in verse 11, and not of evil that God caused these things to happen. And the end result is that they would seek Him with their full heart and they would find Him. He would be there for them. So we need to trust that the Lord is actually working in our lives in these difficult situations. 1 Timothy 4 and 10 tells us, For wherefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. 
it's sort of reassuring when we think about the reasons why we're suffering, that our Heavenly Father, who cares for us daily and knows us better than anybody, is at work with us to bring about our eternal well-being. So as we suffer, we're instructed to endure in patience. In fact, uh, in the psalmist David, in Psalm 40, verses 1 through 2, he gives a beautiful explanation how he waits upon the Lord and how the Lord answers him. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 19, we have another example of enduring suffering with patience. So, as we look at the section of uh, Peter, this last section in 1 Peter chapter 5, we're given instruction on how to bear the suffering that we have to deal with. This was directed to the, the ecclesias at that time, but it's very helpful to us as well as we read through these verses. Listen carefully to the words that Peter uses. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-7. through 7. It says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Peter was with them. They were walking hand in hand. He was a witness of Christ's sufferings and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. So again, the principle that suffering first and then we'll share in the glory together. And the instruction, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. It was their responsibility to take care of the sheep. It's under our care, brothers and sisters, the ecclesia and our brothers and sisters. Serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over entrusted, not loading, load, score, excuse me, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. This suffering that we go through in our life will end. But the crown of glory will never fade away. It's eternal. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older. Why that instruction? Well, you can understand. If you look at all the trials that Peter went through, the compassion that he had, his life had changed. He was able to help. And the young men were told to listen to the older, to look at the example of the things that they had been through and how God has worked in their lives. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That means putting others before ourselves. And then finally, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. God will lift us up, brothers and sisters. He will deliver us from our trials and tribulations. He will change our lives if we allow Him to work in our lives. If we're confused where we're going and what what our life is about, we have to turn our trust over to Him and have faith in Him that He is working with us. It's important for us to do that, brothers and sisters. And we have to cast all our anxiety, all our fear, all our concerns to Him. How do we do that? Well, in our Wednesday night class, we've been talking about making prayer powerful. It's a book that's written. 
has been extremely helpful in understanding how we deal with suffering and that we turn to God in prayer. We have two-way communication with God. He talks to us through His Word and the actions in our lives. And we talk to Him through our prayers. Prayer is a direct expression of our faith in God and that He actually exists. We pray to our Heavenly Father and in our prayers we're actually, through our faith, expressing our very belief in the existence of Him. We must realize that we are dependent upon Him at all times in our life. And we have to show our love to God by expressing our love to Him through our prayers as a parent shows their love and affection to their parents. We all become very discouraged and depressed at times when our requests seem to be ignored or our trials and tribulations seem to go on. When there seems to be no hope in front of us, one day, one day the revelation will be open to us. We will understand what God was doing in our life. In the meantime, we've been instructed to work out our salvation in prayer, in patience, and to pray to Him continually. We have the example in Luke 18 of the unjust judge and how the unjust judge would listen because the person kept praying and praying and Christ told His disciples to pray without ceasing. And we pray to God in faith that He knows best, that He knows what's best for us and that His love and mercy will will be directed towards us in shaping our characters to His will. A lot of times when we're going through these difficult times, that's all we focus on. We have to recognize what God has done for us, all the blessings that He has given us. Just look at that poor ecclesia back in the time the ecclesias back in the time of Peter, what they had to endure. None of us are being thrown in the arena. None of us are being torn apart. Yet we do have severe trials and tribulations that we have to endure. We must live our life as as if we believe that our Heavenly Father is involved. We can't just pray and not really mean it. We can't pray and then live our life in a different direction. We have to realize that God is involved in our lives and trust in Him. It's exactly different from what our society teaches us. Our society teaches us to be self-reliant. That we can handle things ourselves. If there's a problem, we go to the doctor. If we need something, well, we, we pay for it. You know, we, we do all the things that we need to do and we forget our reliance upon our Heavenly Father. And the trials and tribulations are to bring us about to realize that we are dependent upon Him for everything. Don't be discouraged if praying is hard for you. Prayer is not something that comes natural. Prayer is something that the disciples asked to be taught. We have to train our minds to communicate to God. And when we're failing and when we have weaknesses, it's even harder to address Him. We almost feel like we have to correct our problems first before we can go to God. And that's not the way it is. He's there for us. We have to turn all our anxieties over to Him and allow Him to work in our lives, to have faith that He will do that. In the humbling experiences of life that we go through, many times our failures are open for everybody to see. Other times, only we ourselves know. But those humbling experiences in life 
And I mean humbling experiences. The patient endurance that we're called upon under trial to, to endure. Those things help us to develop the compassion that we need to allow us to be king priests in the age to come. And that compassion that we need to be able to help each other in the ecclesia can only be developed by going through difficult times. Look at all the things that Peter had to endure. And now he was in the position of being a shepherd, watching over the sheep, giving them advice. So as we partake of the emblems, brethren and sisters, we have the example of our Lord Jesus Christ, who endured suffering for the sake of all of us, who for the joy that was set before him was able to endure through the suffering that happened on the cross. Just think for a moment, and all throughout Peter's epistle as you read through it, he refers to Christ's suffering. But think for a moment how Christ responded to what, was, what he was asked to do. Did he blame God for the suffering that was brought upon him? No. In fact, he said, not my will, but thine be done. He understood that God was his heavenly Father that he knew what was best. He had faith and trust. He was able to put his very life in God's hands. When he hung on that cross and he gave up his last breath, he knew that God was faithful and would raise him from the dead. He gave up all of his own abilities at that point in time and turned all over to God. And what he was able to do for the joy that was set before him, he was able to endure the suffering and endure the cross. Just Jesus knew that for his suffering, what his suffering was for, excuse me, that it was to teach him obedience. It wasn't something that he was born with. He had to learn through the things that he suffered. And we too, brethren and sisters, are learning as we go through the trials and tribulations of life. And the pattern is clear for us. And thankfully, we have the example of our Lord to look upon. And we'd just like to conclude by reading 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls.